Hi, and welcome to Pressing Issues with Rowan and Joe. I'm Joe. I'm Rowan. This is the podcast where we haven't quite figured out the full logline for it, but basically we examine different comics from different time periods. We press them together. We press them together and we see what sticks. See who comes out on top. Yeah. Um, We see the context, we see, you know, what the world was going through at the time, all of it. How stressed we were at the time. How stressed we were. I'm pretty stressed at the moment, but that's fine. Stressy people. So yeah, this is our first episode, so we're pretty excited to get going. Thanks Um, for listening. Thanks for listening. We will almost certainly (laughs) re-record this. (laughs) We've got our coffee and a small kitten running around. We've got some water. We've got some waters. We'll do our best not to turn this into an ASMR thing. But I can't make any promises. But yeah, basically, we're, we, what we're interested in is we're interested in looking at the expansive nature of these comics and these comic book characters and how different writers interpret them. So what we do is we pick one run from, well, we call it the past, but it could be the most, it could be a more recent past. Yeah. And one that's more recent, and we see how these different writers and creatives have interpreted them, and, you know, we'll see what we come up with. Yeah, like yeah. as we were saying... Kind of how the context of the time informs that, how public perception kind of informs that, and what the lasting legacy of these yeah these kind of runs are. How um, they hold up. And so we thought, you know, everyone's favorite arachnid is in the news. He's it's timely. It's timely. You know Spider Man. We know Spider Man. We love him. You Peter, know Spider Man. Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, you know he's got the biggest movie out in the world right now. Which also is kind of like, it works as like a backdoor um, origin story, which people are yeah understandably upset about. But mild, also, mild spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the biggest movie, <laughs> <laughs> December 2021. I don't know if you heard of Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of Spider-Man No Way Home. It was, um, I don't know, playing in every single place. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard about the multiverse. The multiverse, it's real. Yeah, it's mad. But we thought we we thought what better time than to kind of check in on our favorite our favorite crawling arachnid, and so we looked at it because it is because No Way Home is a bit of a backdoor origin story. We thought we'd look at two different origin stories for this one. So what we're going to talk about is Brian Michael Bendis's and Mark Badgley's Ultimate Spider-Man mm-hmm. from, from two thousand. Is it or even nineteen ninety nine, or is it two thousand? I, I think it was two thousand. I got my phone here. I can be the I can be the context collector. Sure. Um, and then also Robbie Thompson's and Nick Bradshaw's Spidey. Yeah. From, from 2015. 2015. Yeah. So a 15-year gap, and you know a lot of in that time we've got what 15 years, and I think at that point three different Spider-Men in film. Yeah. Well, yeah, by 2015, we've just got the birth of, like, Tom Holland. I think he was in Civil War, the 2015 movie. It's 2016. Oh, well, he, people knew. People knew. I think that, I think by 2015, people knew that he was cast. We knew, we knew at least that we were getting another Spider-Man. Yeah. We knew that Sony had cancelled, or if they even had plans for Amazing Spider-Man 3, mm. after the lukewarm... Reception. Reception of Spider- Amazing Spider-Man number two with Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Um, have you watched that movie recently? Not recently. Uh, I know people are coming up with the seething hot take of, oh, those it's movies good. are good, yeah, actually. Good oh. I I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Garfield is great. I think Andrew Garfield is good. And I think those movies are very poorly written. And they're, yeah, well, they're written by, like, eight people. Yeah. And they've got... Um, you know, I think Mark Webb is not a good director. No. Not that I think John Watts is much No, better. he's not that much better. I think I think each Spider Man movie of these Marvel ones have been of I would say diminishing returns. I think Homecoming Homecoming was really fun. Yeah. Far from Home was fine. And No Way Home I think like It's a blockbuster. It's, a it's the most blockbuster. blockbuster of the movies. Yeah, and it is the most blockbuster that has ever been. Like it's it's not even like I it got me, but I'm an easy get. Yeah, oh absolutely. We're both drip fed on the Marvel <laughs> machine. Um we both need our fix every time a movie comes out. 
Um, I'm sure you'll hear about that in coming episodes with various franchises and yep. uh, series. But um, yeah, you know, Spider-Man, pretty big deal. Yeah, so we thought we'd go back to, you know, Spider-Man's got a long history. He first emerged in 64? Yeah, so instead of going way back then, we're yeah, starting... Yeah, well, we didn't want to start, like, you know, we've all, we've all read Amazing Fantasy 15. We yeah. know great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. It's a single issue. Um, it's a fun issue, like, it's... It's very of its time. It's of its time. It's that's. But it is revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. But it's that classic Ditko Lee thing of yeah. We have you know fifteen pages to yeah to smash through. And I think both of these story. books, Spidey and Ultimate Spider-Man, are good kind of interpretations of that source, I guess, yeah. in very different ways. So um, question, what is your? Have you? No, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> All right. Have please. you had you read either of these prior? I had read, uh, I feel like for people our age, Ultimate Spider-Man was very, or people our age that read comics, Ultimate Spider-Man was a very formative text. Like, that was one that I downloaded via the Pirate Bay back in high school. Same. Um, We do not, oh, look, you know, pirating's fine, whatever. Yeah, you make your own moral decisions. (laughs) We're not not your moral compass. Yeah. No, I understand, I completely agree. It was actually the first comic that I ever kind of, it was the one... It was the gateway that got me in yeah. to comics ten years ago. Like, yeah, I, I, I moved back home and I remember I sat at my desk and I was like, I have nothing to do, and so I downloaded a hundred and something issues and I sat there and I read every mm. single one of them. Yeah, I think I while I didn't get all the way to the end, I very much steamrolled through a bunch of them because I think oh, that I got to the end. yeah, oh, I think I, got to the end. I believe you. I think that Brian Bendis's writing works really well in a decompressed serial way that you kind of you don't get heaps in a single issue but you get enough to keep you being like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna steamroll into the next one like yeah no, that, it doesn't it, it doesn't got... steamroll you with information i keep saying steamroll no but i know what you mean it, it like it it gives you just enough to want to binge it and i think that's it it's binging before binging was kind of like it is so bingeable like mm. it's just well, let's get into some context about this. So, like, what, the year is 2000. Brian Michael Bendis is... He's done... He's pretty new, I think. He's done a couple of... Like, he was, like, a crime writer before this? Yeah. He's done... Uh, we will do more research in future episodes. This, <laughs> this was all very quick. But, like, basically... Um, he was pretty known for his, like, decompressed and, like, very dialogue-heavy storytelling, I think. Which, as a... It, it was more believable dialogue than you got a lot from the decade prior. Yeah, it is also, we've got to say, it is dated. Yeah, oh, it's boy. a very there 2000s some, comic. There are some slurs. Oh, yeah, there are. <laughs> Holy But yeah, so like, you know, Marvel knew that they had the Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie coming out, and they knew that the mainline 616 universe had become... Well, has always been tangled, tangled and convoluted, mm. and Spider-Man's tangled web. He, yeah, exactly. And I think in two thousand as well, like yeah, we, it's, you just had a decade of the most convoluted stories. The decade being you talking about the the nineties, the nineties and the Clone Saga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just like a brick in terms of accessibility, like it's ridiculous. And they knew they had this movie coming out, so they knew they had to find a new a new way in for new readers. They had to find. But this and is also, still two years prior to that movie coming out. Yeah, but it's in it's in production. It's mm. in, and the best like I think one of the things we but we all know about Marvel is that they're so across every media that they have. They're they're notoriously concerned with what's what's going to work for them across both things. You know, like before they owned Fox, before they owned X Men. You know, and before Hickman took over X Men as well, like yeah, sure. in the comic books, they were gone. They they had disappeared because they weren't going to make them any money. Um, and so I think this was a slightly um, considered move to, because at that point, also we've got forty odd years of Spider Man. How do you reinvent him? How do you kind of bring him into a new? And yeah. we're heading into the, you know the wacky two thousands. Yeah, which has this whole 
its own slew of issues. Yeah. Issues and issues. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, especially as this was such a monolithic comic for me as a kid. Um, coming back to this and still having that bit of nostalgia connection, but yeah, seeing how much a product of its time it is and how that is probably an intentional choice. Absolutely. Like, it, you can't, it, it's, it's, it's actually dripping in intentionality. Because yeah. You're taking a 15-page origin story and you're stretching it out to seven issues. Yeah. In which case, in which you're, like, introducing every major player. Yeah. And completely reinventing the tone and the... Yeah. And the attitude. Yeah, and then infusing elements of your, like, high school comedy Hollywood movie. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of that classic... And, you know, it's... Jock vs. Nerd. Yeah. Like, to some cringy extent sometimes. But, like, you know, it's of its time. It works. It, it like, entertained me. And it still kind of does on some level. It definitely, like... I like I like what you said about it being monolithic because it does feel monolithic to me. It's this it's this kind of ur text of mm. of how I got into comics. Mm. But then reading it, it's kind of like reading something that you wrote yeah. when you were a teenager. That's a good. Or point. listening to a band that you loved when you're not that I don't still do that. But I think that's the perfect way to describe it. There is a certain sense of oh, like ah, this has its own kind of uh, emotional baggage to it. Like, yeah. Um, and you and I have both just watched the OC, mm. where Brian Michael Bendis gets a lot name, of name drops fairly constantly. Oh, like, really? I did not realize that. Yeah, he gets that all the time. Oh, that's great. Oh, wait, no, I thought you meant the other way around. Oh no, no, no. no. Which would be great, and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised by that also. Um. But yeah, let's get let's kind of just get stuck into it. Like I. You know, you do some reading and you realise that, like, this idea about stretching this, this origin story into seven issues, it apparently scared the living Christ out of Mark Badgley. Yeah. He, he thought he called it monolithically slow. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of is. It kind of is. It's, it's like you said, it's this entirely decompressed format that, it, you know, not... That Bendis was so good at, that, you know, Whedon was so good at... Yeah. That is now becoming out of vogue yet again. Yeah, this was just on the cusp of it being a huge thing. Yeah, in the way that, like, and it's that snappy kind of back-and-forth dialogue. Like, yeah. that's the thing about this comic book as well. Like, it is just bulk text. Like, there is just block text all over the page. Yeah. All over Mark Batchelor's incredibly angular, incredibly... Yeah. Angular but loose kind yeah, of Yeah, like... Yeah, which I think... Is a whole other thing. Like, I think that's very timely in the way it looked. It's kind of manga-esque looking. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Dialogue is like... There's lots of it, but it kind of snaps back and back and forth between characters that it feels quick, I guess? Yeah, and I think the thing... Like, when you... When you see dialogue like that written... And when you see it, like... The problem with dialogue like that and what everyone kind of goes to is that more people than not do it badly... Yeah. Bendis can do it well. He does it too much. Yeah. And what he kind of does is that he amps up every characteristic of the character to, like, the... You know, he, he pushes it to the point where, like, it can't actually... The characterization can't get any more... Any further, it would be silly. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it veers on that. I think so. And I think it is, especially in his later Marvel work, like... Yeah, it, like it does Defenders, get it. Defenders, I remember. I don't know if you read that with the... The Netflix cast. I had not read that, but I'm aware of it. And it was, it was like, it was very silly. It was yeah. Very, it was very late, late in the game, Bendis. I think so. Not that he's, look, he's still producing some hits. Haven't really read a lot of them, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. But I think before we 100% get into this, a brief overview, the story's pretty right in terms of Spider-Man Origins. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, you're looking, it's... Pretty beat for beat, similar to the first Raimi movie. Um, he, like... I would say... Yeah, you got the Green Goblin, you got Norman Osborn. It's 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 a pretty proto-Spider-Man 2002 text, I would say. Yeah, totally. Like, there's, like, moments and dialogue that is feels like it's, like, lifted from this that goes straight into the movie almost. Absolutely, but I think, like... 
the main difference is that what Uncle Ben has ponytail. One Uncle Ben has a sweet <laughs> ponytail. It looks like it looks fine as hell. And it's like um, like a hippie, right? He's he, he he's like one of those like he a reformed hippie. He, yeah. He's kinda like one of those ex hippies. But also like the difference between the and the thing that kind of bugs me the most about this rereading it is that the Green Goblin has no character. Yeah. He's got no... Like, he's a monster. Yeah. They, they turned... That's true. They turned Spider-Man's only kind of, like... His main kind of foe, his main kind of, like, psychological foe into just this Hulk-like beast. Which is an interesting concept, but there's just not enough... There's not enough juice there, and there's not yeah. enough, like... It's weird reading it back and realising how little it kind of does work. Um... Sorry, everyone's left the room and I'm just rambling, but like... Or just like... Now I'm back. Considering we've got seven issues to tell, like you said, a fairly... A 15-page story, A 15-page story. <laughs> yeah. It seems odd to bypass... Like, we meet Norman first, first panel, first page. Yeah. And he's talking about Arachna or something. He's talking about some Greek... Yeah. The Greek myth. The Greek myth. Which doesn't really... Make any sense. No, and no. it doesn't but it's that, work with it's, the story at all. It doesn't, but like, it's... <laughs> it just screams that kind of like... It's got to come in, it's got to be, it's got to be hot, it's got to be fresh, it's yeah. got to be new. And, um... He's got no And it's almost actor. like... He's just like, he's the, the prototype businessman, he's the... Yeah. He's very kind of Superman 80s Lex Luthor kind of villain, mm. like corporate villain, yeah. which is interesting. And then, yeah, it takes such a shift into... It turns into a monster. Yeah. What? Which I guess is, it's kind of plays more into Bendis' late or long-term, long-term storytelling a bit, right? Because he's kind of, you can tell that he's seeding future conflicts. With yeah, the oh, absolutely. And that's the thing about this one, and I guess we'll get into it soon, but like, the difference between this and something like Spidey is this is true origin for everything. Yeah, this, this is, is writing for the 100 issue run. Yeah, this is looking ahead, knowing where you're going to put things, introducing characters for the first time. Yeah. Whereas I think what Spidey does really well in is every meeting he has with a new villain is has already been... He, he talks about, like, oh, I've met this person a few times. Like, yeah. the whole point about that comic is that he's... We're not seeing it for the first time. We're seeing his... Yeah, we're seeing... It, it, it is... Spidey is an origin story for Spider-Man, but it is more kind of focused on high school uh, Spidey, I think. Yeah. Let's, let's get into that. Let's get into Spidey. Okay. What? I... Do you had you heard of this comic? I heard of it. I, yeah. remember, I remember when it came out. Yeah, um, but I at the time was I think reading a few like less comic. I kind of gave it a miss. Yeah, it was one of those kind of side story, not really relevant to main continuity comics that came out. That I was like, yeah, this looks good, but I don't know. I think I was worried it was going to be like one of those Walmart. Yeah. Kind of made for kids. You yeah. Know, there's anything wrong with those. Like, These are all made for kids. Well, yeah. <laughs> no one told Bendis that, though. Um, <laughs> but I really liked it. I really... I thought it was super charming. Yeah. Um, I get a little frustrated with all the, like, tech-speak and twittering and, like, anything... Yeah, like, but then that's kind of the same as the things in Ultimate Spider-Man that make it of its time. Like, this yeah. is a 2015 comic. Yeah, exactly. Which just drives me... It drives me a little insane, I think. Yeah. But, um... I haven't read a lot about the background of it, but I believe, or what it seems to me, is that this is giving you every raw aspect of Spidey as simple and as quickly as it can. Yeah. Like, this is, is stripping him back to his core elements and packing as much of it into it as he and can. And it's, it's kind of the... It's, it's the polar opposite of Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. Is the, that was six issues of just balls to the wall, 
we got 15 pages. Yeah. Even... Get to the point. Yeah. What happens in Ultimate Spider-Man feels like it could have taken in, like, half of the first issue in Spidey. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of does. Yeah. um, And I think, going into it, I hadn't read it before. And I was expecting the origin story. But the origin story happened in a splash page at the beginning. Yeah. And once again, we see Uncle Ben die. Yeah. Poor Ben. Well, you kind of see it, like, that recap page happens every yeah, issue. Every single issue, I'm like, no, I get it, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aware this poor motherfucker has died. <laughs> and, every, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a different dialogue on that recap page every issue. I uh, know, yeah, so you kind of So I'm like, it, I yeah. still want to read it. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, okay. But there's a great, in the first issue, it's like, I think calling it Spidey was really, was, is a smart idea and it's clever and they have that thing where he says, I'm the amazing Spider-Man. Or, yeah. Um, spectacular question mark or I find I'm Spidey it's yeah. about his kind of evolution and it's about his growth into what we know of as Amazing Spider-Man yeah um, but yeah no, I thought it was so charming I thought like it's kind of fun to bring it all like the one thing about Ultimate that I I've forgotten about was how fucking dour it is mm. how like it's Peter Parker is a real fucking jerk in it, like... Yeah, and that is accentuated in those first seven those issues. Those first seven issues, like, he's just a real... But then I... And, like, they got me thinking about the rest of them, like, no, he's, like... His... His smart mouth kind of comes off with this sneer of this attitude of, like... Yeah. yeah. Which I think that is almost that, like, wish-fulfillment nerd fantasy of that time, right? Yeah, big time. Which, it's like, yeah, I finally got the power to beat back at the jocks. And, like, that is a part of his origin story, but I do think that even after he has, you know, quote-unquote grown into becoming the hero, he still kind of carries that sneer a little bit. Yeah, and it's something that Ben just really holds on to, like, all the way into the series. Yeah. And he holds on to it, like, in all of his, um... Like, the hot... They really double down on um, Spider-Man being an outcast and him being this outsider from the rest of the hero community and like yeah, it's something that they absolutely it's just like no he can't be it becomes a bit much that I remember at the time like when it's just like it's just hit after hit after hit of just Jesus like the, yeah. the, he'd have a fucking break um and that's why I think, like, Spidey was so good, and I think what Robbie Thompson did so well is that it it has levity, and it has a kind of lightness without being um, futile. Like, yeah, it feels comic-y in, a, in such a good way. It's it's kind of celebrating its comic, comic bookiness mm. a bit more than Ultimate Spider-Man is, which is, again, a sign of the times as well. Yeah. I, I think... You think there's a bounce back coming around then? like. Well, yeah. I, I know around like 2010 you started... That was like when... Two years after Iron Man came out, right? That's yeah. when Marvel became Marvel Comics-ass Marvel Studios. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, back in like the 2000s... This, yeah, this feels like... Like Garden State Spider-Man. For better or worse. Whereas... And and, and and yeah, as you said, it's like it's Peter being like, I'm a freak, like I yeah, like I'm not cold. even a mutant, like he's I can't belong spr- to anything. He's cold it. He's like, yeah. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, but but then like on yeah on the flip side again, Spidey like kind of interacts Peter Parker with a lot of the Marvel heroes in that book. Like you see Iron Man in there in one issue. That's a great issue. That was great. The Victor Von Doom issue's great. Also great, yeah. So that's another thing, yeah, you got six issues of Spidey that just burn through I think you get most of his rogues gallery. Yeah, and then uh, and then some and then some, like it's just it's it's just really fun. I don't yeah. know, like there's not I think what's hard to kind of dissect about it is that it's all there's not a whole bunch of subtext. No. You know, the the weight of the whole thing is not and I think what's hard about Ultimate Spider-Man is that it's ca- it's carrying a whole line, like it's yeah, and its popularity launches an entire now defunct universe yeah 
which became tangled in its own way, in its own kind of like messiness. Yeah, and we we've talked about this, like the Ultimate Universe. That was well, I think we touched on it before. It's like the reboot for the Marvel Universe to make things accessible. But I've previously said that if you're not going to make it a limited miniseries, if you're going to have it as an ongoing thing then inherently it's going to become tangled up in its own rules, which is what happened. But then Spidey is a limited series. Yeah. How many issues is it run? 12 altogether. And so I think having that from the get-go being like, right, this is just going to be 12 issues. We're going to cram as much as it into it as we can was good. Absolutely. I think like, um, I lost my thought there. Sorry. No, it was totally fine. Um, one thing I want to talk about is uh, both of these series. We didn't get up to it in the seven issues of Ultimate that we that we read, but in the Ultimate Universe, Gwen Stacy is. Oh, she's a cool she's girl. She's a cool girl, and then it happens again in Spidey. Yeah. I'm like, why? I think I think Marvel has been forever. Um, it's interesting, actually. I think they've been forever kind of count like putting their tails between their legs about what they did to Gwen Stacy. Yeah. That they are. That she got fridged. She got fully fridged. Yeah. But then they're always kind of trying to come back, being like, yeah, but she's back now and she's fucking cool. Yeah, she's a cool girl. And I was like, like, and I, like, I have no problem with that. Um, that is an interesting trope. Yeah, like it's in Ultimate Spider Man, like Spider Gwen is the yeah. cool Spider Man, like that kind of thing. Yeah, that's just, true. They can't get over, and they can't ever give her her old characteristics back because. Which is weird, because, like, I don't know, they... I like Gwen, Stacey. Yeah, she's fine. But I, in saying that, she's also fine, but I don't really remember that much about her. You read Spider-Man Blue? No. Good, good comic. She sure. read it. Maybe. Jeff Love before he went... Racist. Racist and crazy. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Basically ruined Marvel television. Yeah. Um, that, that is interesting, that, like, that character trope has kind of reappeared so often and in both of these comics mm. to a lesser extent in, in Spidey for sure but she is well she's like the she, MJ almost like the original yeah. MJ does MJ pop up in Spidey? I, I didn't read to the no I don't think so yeah as far well, as I can see well that's like and yeah in Ultimate MJ he the two of them are the founding they're the kind of like foundational relationship in the whole their relationship is yeah sees the entire yeah. Series. And Bendis in that series spends a lot of time in it wisely that uh kind of makes it feel like that early 2000s rom-com high school movie. Yeah. Like there's that infamous infamous issue where he like revealed his identity to Gwen. I mean, MJ. And they're like sitting in Peter's bedroom. Do you know the one that I'm talking about? Yeah, I think so. Just I... And they both just like freak out about it for like five or six pages that's right yeah yeah i do remember that and it's like it's it is fun and like as a teenager i was like oh this is this is so cute um yeah they really like but at times it does just play as bendis who is a middle-aged man being Mm. like i know what teenagers do and you're like okay yeah cool Probably doesn't hold up as well now reading it. So. No, but I think I'm going to go home and, like, give it a look. <laughs> a look yeah. Which, yeah, that is interesting. And I guess that leads into another good point to talk about, is the art in both of these comics. Yes. So Mark Badgley wrote... Sorry, um... He and Bendis worked together for something like 134... No, 120-odd issues. Yeah, I think this was also... Mark's like second big pro- oh no it was his like third he was a pretty established artist at that point well he'd already done some Spider-Man. Spider-Man yeah he'd done a lot of the Clone Saga and he'd done New Warriors that's right way back in the early 90s so he is pretty like it's interesting he's pretty used to drawing like kids and teenagers mm. and I think his style is so um, distinct that it's hard to he set the template of what that whole one, what that whole run looked like. And even what the universe, universe kind of looks like. like. Yeah, like, I, I think, agree. I think he definitely put the... He was the one that made the decision to kind of... You know, it's all undersaturated. It's all... Yeah. not, like, a lot of colour. Yeah. 
Um, I think the colorist on this issue is Johnson, Justin Ponza, who's also another Bendis collaborator. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was about to bring that up as well. It definitely has that kind of like washed out early 2000s feel a bit. Except mm. for the, like the superhero moments, which are very like shiny. Yeah, it, that's it. Yeah, it's got a shine to it. It's yeah. got like a, a real sh- slickness. Yeah, like um, looking at like Spider-Man's costume looks like it's been like polished. Yeah. And which is maybe technology at the time, but also I like it. I like it. I think like, I think... Um, Makes him look prestige. Yeah. Back to Spider-Man is probably one of my favourite Spider-Man designs. Yeah. I like the big eyes. I like the like... It's a very stylized take on Spider-Man. Yeah. And that, I think, makes... Gives it a lasting impression. It's stylized while still kind of having this foot in this kind of quasi-realism. Yeah. That, that again, like... The whole point of this Ultimate Universe was that it's not as fantastical. It's not... Yeah. It's, it's... For lack of a better term, it's the gritty reboot. Yeah, sure. That then, you know, something like um, Ultimate X-Men takes fucking like 10 notches up and, <laughs> you know... Haven't got into that. Maybe we'll get into that. Maybe we'll... Uh, it's, it's, if you want to hear an Ultimate X-Men comparison, yeah, let us hit know. us up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty wild. But... And then on the other side of that, like, you got Nick Bradshaw on the first three issues, three or four issues of Spidey. Who is... Chris. I really like him. I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> I think he's great, and I think it's very much in tone with what Spidey's trying to do. Totally. It's very superhero-y, there's a lot of things going on in one page, like... It's very... Like, Nick Bradshaw's a very workman artist. What? No. Nick Bradshaw's an artist's artist in that he's mm. doing a lot of little tricks and techniques in one page and like the panel borders will sometimes be sand or something like that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of like it's a lot of really interesting stuff like that. I just personally find it to be <laughs> a little I don't know, there's something about Yeah. It's it's, it's, hard. it's, it's, it's I think it's, it's like the, the I think I know what you're trying to like voice like the kind of the line work on the faces it's the line work on the faces it drives me insane yeah like, it just everyone is doing the most in their faces which i guess is, a, is, is the same kind of thing you can say about badgley's is that he has a very similar faces he's also. got very similar faces in that all of their his faces look the same yeah <laughs> they have that kind of like big eyes and like slightly open mouth yeah he's got yeah he's got his like badgley face style his, um, the skin all looks like it's a bit floppy they do, yeah. <laughs> That's a weird thing I just kind of came up with then. And also, oh god, the hair. The floppy hair. Everyone's got such floppy, floppy hair. Yeah, Peter Parker has bangs. Just got the bangs, he's gone forever. He's, he is what I wanted to be when I, was, <laughs> yeah. when I was like 13. Absolutely. I tried that once, I put my, I, like I went to the hairdresser and I asked, so I was like, they're like, what do you want? And I was like, oh, I want it to be really short <laughs> on the side and then like droop down yeah. like this and they were like, Okay, and they sent me out with not that. <laughs> yeah, your mum's gonna hate it. <laughs> yeah, I think I was back like two weeks later, being like, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> got it all up. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I I think that's interesting as well because the Nick Bradshaw design of Peter Parker feels very proto Tom Holland Spider Man. Yeah, and in a way that the voice of that Peter Parker feels like it's setting the stage for Tom Holland's Spider-Man a lot. Mm. Like, when I was reading it, all I could hear in my head was that little wispy baby bullshit Tom Holland voice. I have nothing against Tom Holland. Yeah, wow, you're really calling for Tom Holland. (laughs) Sorry. Like, I think... That kind of, like, naive but hopeful tone. Yeah. Which is definitely not what Tom Holland's is going to be now that he's been through No Way Home. No, he's hell. sad boy. He's sad boy now. He's sad lone boy. Yeah. Um, on the voices in both of these, like Peter's voices in both of these, mm. it's... I, there's something about the Spidey one that is... Again, the problem is that you've always got these, um, these grown men... <laughs> Usually it's always men. I don't know how old Robbie Thompson is. He's not 16. <laughs> like, that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. And it's when you get things like him being like, oh, epic fail, <laughs> and stuff like that, that I'm just thought, like, it, it can't help but be cringy, but I guess, like, it's... I'm, you, you've always got to give the benefit of the doubt to them and say, like, no, no, they're meaning to do that. Like, this is supposed to be somewhat cringy. Like, 
almost kind of iconoclastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, look, we're relevant. Whereas um, Bendis's Peter Parker is a huge downer. Oh yeah, <laughs> he sad boy. Yeah, he um, talks back to his uncle Ben with the ponytail. How can you say that? How can you talk back to that ponytail? <laughs> I, I think... This is kind of going back on Ultimate Spider-Man a bit. But I found it really interesting that... Especially compared to the Sam Raimi movie... There's a lot of time spent with Uncle Ben. Like, mm. five or six of the seven-issue introduction arc. Uncle Ben's alive and, like, interacting. Which I think is, like... That was such a good um, decision. Yeah. Because it's, we've never known Uncle Ben. Yeah. I think it was good. I, actually, I was actually, surprised like, by yeah, it. Yeah, and I think, like, it actually... It's kind of... Like, how do you take a death that's that iconic mm. and make it have some weight? Like, how do you make it mean anything? Yeah. And the answer is to spend some time with the guy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, let him not just be uh, an idea. Let him actually be a, a character. Yeah, and so that we can be sad for him. Yeah, and a character who also has his own kind of, like, ups and downs in it. Like, it's not like he is this... Um, perfect symbol of, yeah. of, of goodness he, he does fuck up a bit, little bit he just like he, he stumbles a little bit and he has these issues with Peter and then he I agree um, I think the break into the house so the way they do it in Ultimate is that yeah it's... Peter doesn't stop a robbery of like a pizza joint or something and then later on he gets back in the home and the same robber has broken in so it's not a carjacking or anything he breaks into the house asking ben, for money. Yeah, and then shoots Ben and then leaves. Yeah. And, and I, like, it's... <sighs> it was interesting reading that, like, also because of how disconnected it was to the main conflict, I guess. But also the bit that you can tell is they're trying to make it make Uncle Ben likeable when the robber asks them for money and Uncle Ben's like, oh, huh? you probably have more than we do. Yeah. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Shot, yeah. <laughs> but I just think that... Taking it away from the carjacking, like, because the thing about the carjacking is that it's, it's, it's random. It's this idea that, like, yes, Spider-Man could have, like, it's the, it's the constant knot in him is that, yes, he could have saved it, but also this is a random act of violence mm. that is unavoidable. Like, yeah. I think that's... I get it. This feels too easy. Like, it just feels a little bit too, like... Oh, someone put this burglar at the front of their house. And yeah. See what happens. And I just don't think, like... I just think it's a bit too... It's also just a bit too much to have him shot in the home. Like, yeah. And then, you know, Bendis is not one for kind of... He lets moments like that kind of go. Yeah. And he moves on. Like, he's got... Like you said, he's got... He's thinking a hundred issues down. Yeah, he's that's also, He's point. got this kind of, like, turbocharged... What did you, you, how did you put it, um, steamroll, like, he keeps mm. going, like, he just has, you don't have a lot of time to deal in the fact that that is a huge, uh, trauma, like, that's a massive thing. Yeah. To have him, and, like... They do sit with a little bit, but comparatively, com- like, to the rest of the series. Yeah. It's like a fact, second. We've got fucking seven issues, like, we can maybe sit with May and, <clears throat> May yeah. and Peter for two seconds to yeah. talk about, like, wow, he was shot in our home. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I also don't buy May being able to, like, give such a clear report of what happened immediately after. Yeah. Like, that was a bit... I don't know. I can see myself in high school being like, oh, yeah, that's sad. But, like... <laughs> that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> but it just felt like... Like, she gets sad at the end of it and kind of trails off. But the whole time, she's like, yes, and this happened at this exact moment in time. And I'm like, wow, this is very coherent for someone who's... We just got to break and enter in, and then... And their husband like, died, like, in, in the last, like, hour or so? Yeah. Bit much. Anyway, that's, like... I guess that's not really anything. Yeah. But I think it just, like, it takes away... It's still random, but not in the way that I think is pertinent to what... I think it's kind of, like, why I also didn't like, um... Spoiler alert, No Way Home. I didn't like May's death in No Way Home that much. Sure, because it wasn't sat with... No, it's sat enough. with. I think it's just, like... It's, it's, they, they, like, like you said, like, No Way Home is a backdoor, um, origin story. Mm. And so, her death is still this linchpin moment that Ben's death is supposed to be. Yeah. But hers is a premeditated act, again, of a villain. Yeah. Not a, like, 
not a random act. It's, not a random act of violence. Yeah, it's not a death in the same way that... No. Uncle Ben's was. Yeah, I get what you mean. So, yeah, that's the first time I've kind of, like, voiced that. Like, something about it, like, doesn't... Didn't sit, a lot of that movie didn't sit with me right, but at the same time I saw three Spider-Men swinging and I was like, ha 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 Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. That's Andrew. It's Andrew. <laughs> Toby. Yeah. Um... But, uh, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Spidey doesn't really directly deal with that a lot. And probably, I guess, that set up for why the first Tom Holland movies didn't really deal with yeah, that death a lot. Yeah, which was so good. Yeah. Such a good, like... It gives more room for the character to just be a hero, I guess. And I think, like, you can't... Once you... Because Spider-Man in his main series comic, he relitigates his fucking mission purpose so often. Yeah. That, like, we know, we know Ben died. We are aware of it. Yeah. And, like, then I, I get the idea about when you reboot it for the Ultimate Universe, you've got to show it, you've got to do the whole thing. Yeah. But you can't do that a third time. Like, Spidey couldn't do another full origin story. No, not when it's been so saturated in popular media. Yeah, and that's what I think... The Marvel movies did so well. Was it like, no, you just come into him. You know Spider Man. You know Spider Man. Yeah. He's our best friend. Like, yeah. you know him. Friendly and neighborhood. Friendly neighborhood Spider hyphen man. Yeah. Um, Spiderman. Um, but, and that's why I think it's, it's, it's hard to call Spidey an origin story because it's. It's another entry point like entry Ultimate po- yeah. Spider Man, but yeah, it's, I guess you're right there. Like, it just gives it... It's it's an easy, easily accessible... It's an origin story for readers. Totally. Because it, it gives you the rundown of everything Spidey does and the way that he's perceived by everyone. Like, mm. you get a bit of, like... Like, in those issues with Doctor Doom and Iron Man, like, you get a bit of those characters, but it's also mainly, like, how they react to Spider-Man. Like, yeah. Doctor Doom's a little bit empathetic with him at some point, I think. That was a great ending. Yeah. Like, Doom is never alone, and he's... Yeah, that, that was that. that was like, great. Creepy. And the Iron Man moment. Also, the artist in that issue, Andre Lima Araujo, so good. Draws Iron Man like a weird-looking robot. Yeah, with a it. human face, and I love it. And he's got his little. He's got gold yeah. shorts. He's got these little gold shorts, and I'm a big fan. And he's the same height as Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Which I can't help but think he's a tiny dig at um, uh, his ego. Uh, no, Artie J being um, really short in real life. Sure. Robert Downey Jr., really short in real life. Yeah. Like, Didn't know that. Tiny. Did not know that. Every time he's in a scene with the, the two Chris's, he has to be wearing, like, those really? like, platform shoes. That's yeah. kind of great. Same, um, same with Gwyneth. Wow. Oh, yeah, she's tall. Because he's, like, he's like your height. He's little. Yeah. You're pretty little. Yeah, a little bit little. <laughs> Way to bring up uh, some yeah. kind of insecurity there. <laughs> um, the thing I'm sensitive about... <laughs> But, yeah, full shout-out, we haven't talked about that artist, Andre Lima Araujo, who does issues three to six of Spidey, maybe more. Um, he does seven as well. Oh, okay. I, I had a brief, brief kind of, like, flip through seven. Yeah, different um, style to Bradshaw, but really, like, kind of... It's loose, it's and it's, cr- like, it's easy, like, it's Yeah, so, it's very fluid, Yeah, which works a lot for Spider-Man, I think. I think this, and it works a lot for that, like kind of it always plays like a memory play in that sense of like it's always like looking back and it's always kind of like Spider-Man kind of thinking back at those old times and yeah it's got a it's got a lucidity about it and like not a lucidity a looseness and like it's just kind of yeah it's easy whereas I think Bradshaw can be a little bit too technical yeah I get that and I think Araujo's uh, Spider-Man himself Feels, looks like a teenager and also looks like an awkward teenager on top of, like, what Bradshaw is doing. Like, it yeah. feels more like a reference to the kind of, like, weird Ditko Peter Parker where he is a little bit more awkwardly proportioned, I guess? I don't know. Yeah. It just feels like he bumbles through scenes a bit awkwardly, I guess. Totally. Whereas I think um, Badgley's ultimate Spider-Man is slick and, yeah. like... He also, like, very teenager Very but... teenager but, like... He, he really, like, the way he moves and the way, kind of, like, he, like, he, it's graceful. There's a, like, there's a, there's a real kind of, like... Yeah. Um, as soon as he becomes Spider-Man, he yeah. just 
he just has it. Just yeah, he's an athlete, basically. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's fantasy. Amazing fantasy. There you go. Number 15. Um, and yeah, I think inherent in both of these is the, like, the very easy uh, metaphor of, like, it's about puberty. Mm. It's about growing up. Mm. It is evident in both of them. Probably more ham-fisted in Ultimate Spider-Man, but I don't think that's in a bad way. No, it's just like, it's it's, it's a truer origin story. Yeah, and it is focusing more on that. Yeah, I think like, what, I like, to both of these comics benefit, like, they, they both know what they are. Yeah. And what they need to do. Yeah. Like, I think, I think what Robbie Thompson does is, so much fun and like not to use this annoying term but like he understood the assignment yeah oh absolutely like <laughs> he totally knew like i know i've got 15 pages and i've got to get it it's i've got to do there's no introductions to characters really like yeah just... you're carrying that introduction in just how they interact with yeah the comic basically how they interact with spider-man basically and that kind of connection between them that each villain or each introduced character has is that kind of baseline of that character I suppose that you get and Robbie I think does that so well in such a short amount of time yeah like really gives you that kind of core stripped down element of every character that joins in even like the villains like Sandman he's like a workman villain like there's he he feels very like kind of old school noir criminally a bit mm. and that like kind of works for him and I forget what other guys but Doc, Doc Ock like he Spider-Man has a dig at him for how he talks, which feels appropriate. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, uh, yeah, that's like... Whereas everything in um, Ultimate is very self-serious. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone has a mission. Everyone has, like, a, a grand scheme. Exactly. So, moving on. Yeah. What's your... This is the next segment. The next segment which, of which the podcast? Trying. Yeah. This is the, the first time we're doing the... One perfect panel segment. Yeah, we're going to see how this works on, a, on an audio medium. Yeah. <laughs> about a visual medium. Yeah, about a yeah. panel. We'll, we'll include it if we have a... A Twitter or something. Yeah, or like a, a podcast description or like yeah, something. Yeah, absolutely. We'll but basically, in. yeah. We've what's, what's your one perfect... Or describe it. For my one perfect panel? My one perfect panel is from Spidey but, Issue. But describe the concept of the one perfect panel Oh, one segment. perfect panel? I think it's just... Find a panel that I think speaks perfectly to that series, or something that really like came out, like popped out at you, either from the art or the writing. Just something to like, something that was eye-catching that you wanted to bring. Sure. Like show, it's like show and tell. Sure. Um. So mine is from the Doctor Doom issue of Spidey. Nice. Uh, and it's this one here. It is a spot. Is Spider-Man looking at TVs of all the other heroes in New York fighting Doombots? And the reason I picked it is that, um, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce the artist's name. Andre Lima Araujo. He draws... If I'm saying that wrong, I'm, I apologise. <laughs> um, he draws Mr. Fantastic uh, stretching, and I think it might be the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, it just, that is a long-necked it's man. It's a long-necked man, and it looks like that kind of, it, it looks almost like Lunig-esque. Yeah, I get that. In terms of its, like wavy line and I just I love it so much and Captain America is there and he has and I just it's so so funny and I love it and that's my one perfect panel nice how about you uh, mine's from the first issue of Spidey again I, th I think Spidey was like just a visual treat oh absolutely um this panel uh yeah so it's kind of like the... it's almost a reference to the classic I don't know if you guys are familiar but like in the old Stanley Steve Ditko run where He's getting weighed down by this massive thing, and he's. It's it seems it's, like it's too much for Spidey. It's extremely iconic. It's that perfect. It's like how he. Well, we'll include it in a description. Yeah, yeah. It as well. it's the moment that that Dico completely re um, evaluated what nine panels could achieve. Yeah, and it was like, yeah, it's Peter Parker constantly going like, "No, I need to do this for everyone else. Like, this isn't just for me anymore." And Often like, imitated. Yeah. There's never. Quite never quite. Well, it's never going to have the same effect. But like, I know that, um, like John Romita Jr. has one in. The they have a moment of it in like the. In they got, it, they got it in Homecoming. Yeah. yeah, like it's 
it's Spider-Man lifting an insurmountable weight, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it has that, and even just, like, the visual design of it, like, the way that Spider-Man's kind of pushing into the railing behind, underneath him because of how heavy the weight is makes it feel so superhuman, I guess. And yeah. just the dialogue on the page. I think, that, I think that's so good. I think that perfectly encapsulates what, like, both kind of Bendis and Thompson know, and, like, what everyone knows yeah. about Spider-Man, is that, like... Moments of doubt, followed by an understanding of responsibility. Yeah, that's that's the thing, yeah. Him quickly realising that it's not just about him, that shift. Like, he has a moment, like, that small moment of, like, well, I fucked it up. But then, so quickly, yeah, so quickly shifts, which is very, like, key of Spider-Man. Like, as soon as he tries to have an insular thought, he's like, no, that's wrong. Yeah. Great. That was one for the panel. Yeah. Love it. So, I guess in uh, wrapping all this up, what is your preferred? What, when in pressing these two issues together, so to speak, nice. that's a little title drop for that's you. A little title drop for us. Yeah. Um, what What came out on top for you, Joe? Oh, uh, I think in terms of like what is gonna, I think it's Spidey for me. I think what. Ultimate Spider-Man did, and then what it turned into, and then what it kind of spawned, and then it's, like, a cultural effect, and it's, like, kind of mammoth, you know. Oh, yeah, it's undeniable. It's undeniable, but I do think it is... And, you know, we're talking about a comic book that is now 22 years old. Like, it is... It's a little... It was a little more dated than I was expecting it to be. Mm. Whereas I think... And maybe in 10 years, Spidey, Spidey will, yeah. will date as well. But there was something quite timeless about Spidey that, like... Yeah. That really sang to me. How about you? I agree. I... Well, I can... I can see myself, like, returning to Ultimate Spider-Man. I think that's more just about nostalgia. Yeah. And I think that every time I'd read it, I'd want to be like, oh, I want to read the whole thing and get a bit turned off by it. Whereas I can see myself going back to Spidey as it's such, like, a perfect little package of Spider-Man mm. comics. And, yeah, there are, like you said, bits... Uh, like, I think it will hold up as more timely, even though there are some bits that are 2015-specific moments. <laughs> I think they're less evident than what happens in Ultimate Spider-Man. And I just think, overall, it's a really well-crafted comic. Great. But, yeah, absolutely check out Ultimate Spider-Man 2. I think it doesn't have as much wide appeal because it is a 22-year-old comic, but definitely has that nostalgia touch point for me. Same. Oh, great. Well, I think that's it. I think that's a wrap on our first episode. Yeah, let us know... What you think. Yeah, uh, that's it. Nice. Right, right in, listen to questions. Yeah. Love to have them at some point. Uh, listeners, we'd love to have them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. <laughs> and we'll figure out a more appropriate way of, uh, winding this down, but I think for now, I'm, you know, enough said. Yeah. Um, do you have any social media? No, I parts? don't. Yeah. I'm completely on social media. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm extremely offline. Yeah. Look, aspirational Joe over here. Um, I want to, <laughs> I'm going to hawk myself. Yeah, nice. Uh, I think I'm just like on Rowan K. Grover on Twitter and Instagram. So if you're into those, please check them out. I love when people follow me. It gives me a little rush. Anyway. Anyway, thanks for stopping by. Love you all.